Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Every weekend, you'll hear from chefs and artisan food makers, farmers, authors, travel experts, sommeliers, and tastemakers on this show, all of whom are passionate about everything delicious. It's my goal to feed your soul, so don't touch your dial. I have scintillating and delicious conversation coming up. I'm about health and wellness, wine, trends, giving back, and living the best life. And I'm always serving up seconds, by the way, at chefjamie.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, where I hope you'll become a fan and a friend. You can also hear radio podcasts of shows you might have missed on iTunes. Just search Chef Jamie Gwen. Okay. I like to kick off this show with a tutorial, a technique of sorts to make you the best cook you know. And from my kitchen to yours, I am big on butter, but you knew that. I recently met a chef uh, on a trip to New York City who makes beer-flavored butter. He was churning butter with a local brewery's IPA, and he paired it with a soft pretzel on his bar snack menu. Yum, right? At uh, a dozens or a bevy of steakhouses, you can actually choose from a menu of premium steak butters, like a pat of marrow butter or lobster butter or blue cheese butter. Or how good does house-made cheddar bacon biscuits with chipotle maple butter sound? Sounds good to me right about now. I'm happy to tell you, butter is back. Or better yet, butter has been reborn. So butter has always been an incredible flavor carrier uh, because you can incorporate flavors and you get this wonderful mouthfeel. And you'll find an absolute bevy of butters in the refrigerated section of your favorite local grocery store today, albeit gourmet or otherwise. We're seeing uh, an influx of European butter uh, come up front on the shelves where the lower the water content, the richer the butter. The higher the butter fat, the better the flavor. And so you have lots of butter choices today. And I think that's really important. Like we choose salt, whether it's kosher salt for everyday cooking and flake salt to finish off a beautiful pasta dish, you can now choose butter. So you might buy a a very reasonable quality butter to cook with, but you might make a compound butter or finish a sauce with a European butter with higher uh, butter fat content so that you get a richer, more luxurious, smooth, sensual mouthfeel and fabulous flavor. So with that said, compound butters are a really wonderful way to add flavor to steaks or chicken or veggies or bread. And there's nothing like a pat of butter melting away on top of something you're about to sink your teeth into. By the way, if you're putting butter on the table with bread, as we call in the restaurant business bread service, I do recommend that you buy the best quality butter that you can afford. And whether you plan to season it yourself or you buy it lightly salted, I use unsalted butter for everything else but my bread service, an important note. 
when you add a few flavorful ingredients to quality butter, you have made what is called a compound butter. It's a really easy, practical way of layering on buttery goodness with fresh herbs, aromatic spices, maybe a little kick of heat or a hint of sweetness. So to make a compound butter, you start with fresh room temperature butter. And I digress for a moment, but let me go back and tell you why I use unsalted butter as a staple in my kitchen. When I teach cooking classes across the country at uh, the big events or food festivals, or if you've caught me on television or you're a longtime listener on the radio, I thank you. You know that I use unsalted butter for many reasons, one of which is most important, and that is salted butter has a very, very long shelf life, and no one is really sure how long it's been in the box. Unsalted butter has a shorter shelf life. And while I like my ingredients fresh, I like my butter fresher. And if you can find artisan butter at your local farmer's market, even better. But I also prefer to salt my dishes the way I like, and therefore unsalted butter is my staple. So now that you know that, and we've shared our butter thoughts. (laughs) To make a compound butter, you start with fresh room temperature butter and you put it in a mixing bowl or you can use your food processor uh, or you could use an electric mixer with a paddle attachment. And you have lots of options. Uh, You might limit yourself to a few well-chosen additions, but here's the list. You could go herbs, fresh, or spices, dried. Uh, Aromatics like shallots, garlic, scallions, or um, fresh cracked pepper, citrus uh, zests. All of those just scratch the surface. But you should mince everything well or run it in the food processor first before you add the butter. Now, when it comes to salt, I like a fine sea salt when I'm making a compound butter to bring out the flavor in the ingredients. And I like a little bit of acid. So you can add a teeny bit of juice. It will incorporate into the butter like citrus juice. But if you really want bold flavor, I recommend that you zest the lemon or the orange. You'll have a dry ingredient added to the butter, therefore easily combined as well. As for a touch of sweetness, I love a sweet compound butter, a bit of honey for biscuits, oh yes, or waffles. And then sometimes on a savory biscuit or waffle, I'll add in a little bit of sage or fresh thyme, also beautiful on fish, by the way. You want to make sure you blend well so that the ingredients are thoroughly incorporated. And then my best chef's tip, you want to wrap the butter tightly before you store it in the fridge. So I spoon the compound butter into the center of a piece of plastic wrap or parchment paper, and I roll the bottom half of the paper or plastic wrap over the butter. And you hold the bottom layer steady, and with the other hand, you pull the covered butter piece towards you. Essentially, what you're making is a log. You could use a bench scraper or a sushi mat. You want to, uh, of course, tie or twist the ends well. And you can have anything in thickness from a cigar um, all the way to a two-inch round. I like a log that's rather thick, and then I'll slice it thin or thick depending upon how gargantuan my steak is, but there's nothing better than a red wine 
and rosemary compound butter melting over a perfectly grilled ribeye steak. Now the red wine trick there, you want to reduce red wine down to a syrup or a glaze before you add it to your compound butter, therefore making the perfect butter. It should keep in the fridge for at least a week, but you want to store it well, preferably that plastic wrap log of compound butter in a plastic zipper bag because it will take on the flavors of the fridge. And then you'll slice it into coins, or you could always, by the way, spread the compound butter into a ramekin before you chill it and then serve it with your bread service. And then you get this melt-in-your-mouth result, right? Those last few basil leaves, by the way, or if you have scraps of some sort from the end of the shallot, these are great things to mix and mingle into a compound butter so that next time you grill a steak, you are truly prepared. Now, this compound butter could have lots of flavors, but my most current favorite flavored butter is a sriracha honey butter. And you blend unsalted butter with golden honey and fiery sriracha. And whether it's for fried chicken, you've got some bread and butter pickles alongside, maybe one of those split hot fresh from the oven biscuits. And oh, that is a serious sandwich. I also make a filet mignon with a gorgonzola scallion butter. And I would love to share both recipes with you. They are the bonus recipes this week. And if you would like to become a compound butter master, all you need to do is email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com and ask for the compound butter tutorial. And I will send you my recipes from my kitchen and collection to yours. Oh, and there is so much great show coming up, so please don't touch your dial. Back for part two, more bigger, bolder baking every day, the pastry chef sensation, Gemma Stafford, sitting down to dish as we continue our sweet conversation. You won't want to miss it. And before the end of the hour, she lives a charmed life. And very well-deserved, the extraordinarily talented Susan Gravely will be in your radio. So grab a snack and come on back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'm so glad you're listening. in your radio with grand guests to make your dishes come alive with flavor every weekend. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Our feasts are our memories as it reads in the foreword. What a line and oh how I agree. In her debut cookbook, Susan Gravely celebrates 40 years as founder and creative director of Vietri, a lifestyle brand offering handcrafted Italian tabletop home and garden accessories that we all love, right? And Italy on a Plate, this beautiful book that not only shares extraordinary recipes, but 
even more importantly, shares the success and the life and the beautiful passion of a grand female entrepreneur. It is an exploration into magical Italy, the incredible food, the artistic legacy, the unparalleled style. The book is a culinary tour and a memoir of the living legacy of a brilliant female force with a passion for food and entertaining and gathering at the helm of America's largest Italian ceramics importer. And Susan Gravely is here. What a book. What a life you've had thus far. What a lady. I am so delighted to have you, Susan. Thank you for gracing this show and congratulations to you. I know this book is um, a labor of love. It is, Jamie, and I'm just thrilled and honored to be with you today. Well, thank you kindly. Thank you. Start at the beginning, please. For anyone that knows VA Tree, we know that... You certainly have made the lives of hundreds of Italian ceramics makers very fruitful over 40 years, Um, but the story in a nutshell started really in 1983 when you set off for Italy, right? Your mother's dream. That's exactly right. It was a trip that my mother and father had planned, and my father had sadly had a heart attack at 60 and died the the night after he had introduced the new owners to the Italian conglomerate. Wow. He was in tobacco. Uh, they were in Valdosta, Georgia, meeting, and he came in and was not feeling well, and he died that night. Hmm. Two years later, my mother called me. I was in New York. My sister had just had her second child in chapel. Hill, North Carolina, and invited us to take the trip she and Daddy had planned. And that was the magical trip. The magical trip that started uh, what is an incredible company that you have sustained many because of. And for all of us who have reaped the rewards of your fruitful labor, we have collections of Italian ceramics we would never otherwise have. You have the most brilliant eye for design. Do you believe that was uh, inherited or was it grown or nurtured? I I mean, I I would, I would kill for a moment in your living room to look around. I really would. (laughs) Well, thank you. I, I think it was um, it was nurtured and it was mentored by my mother and my grandmother. I grew up in a southern home where my families all loved their home. Hmm. So decorating and creating a warm environment was part of our our birth and life and dining and sitting around a table and enjoying being around that table talking about life and and issues was also a part of our our mm. life my mother traveled with me a great deal when we were designing and and meeting new vendors and she had a magic touch she had a beautiful eye she had a beautiful understanding of the crafts that we were working in, and uh, every 
every artisan fell in love with her and would call her mama, mama. la mama. La mama. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, I learned a lot from my mother, and my sister learned a lot from my mother. I imagine so. And then I can only imagine how multiplied that feeling of... I know from reading the introduction that you were invited to the dinner parties growing up as long as you behaved, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> right? And so uh, you, right? you experienced those gatherings and dinner parties in the South, here in the States. And then it was exemplified when you started traveling to Italy, where the celebration is even more grandiose on any Tuesday night, right? And I can only imagine how you relished that. I did. Yeah, I, we had a um, a globe, a standing globe, and when, when oh, foreigners yes. would come to our home, my mother or father would put their finger on the country, the city where the guests mm-hmm. were were coming from, and Rocky Mount, North Carolina, and would say, "Look how small the world is. You're only a plane." ticket or a phone call away mm. and so we were always encouraged to spread our wings susan you Going have to, to know susan my son has a globe i he i does? oh yes he does oh. i bought a globe and we twirl it and i say something similar too so thank you for inspiring that go ahead please i didn't oh, mean to interrupt fantastic oh i'm so <laughs> glad to hear that you are the first person in this contemporary world that I've heard say that. Oh, it's a vintage globe. Yes, it's a vintage Good. globe. It's fabulous. And we we uh, look all around the world before we, we will even go there. So go ahead. My apologies. Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, I think that inspired all four of us, the children, to always be comfortable traveling and meeting people. Sure. Uh, and then when we started this company, we were always curious about the people we were meeting and uh, Mm. excited to meet them. And with time in those relationships, we would be invited to their home. And that is the highest of compliments, to be invited into the home of an Italian. And it's not common because they... They eat with their families. They they are a large group, mostly always at lunch and at dinner. So mm-hmm. to become part of that really has been a huge part of my business and personal pleasures. And what a privilege to be woven into the fabric of those lives and, and to become yes, a part yes, of them. Yes. I, I love the stories in the book, the way you talk about the young boy who grew up in Positano, who you've watched grow up and dined together and shared a meal and connected. Those are friendships and memories, as you talk about, that never fade. And so you've shared your life here in the States and in Italy, but you've, I'm sure, eaten the best in Italy because who doesn't? So let's cook across Italy together, please. All right, let's go. We'll take a quick break when we come back more with the extraordinary Susan Gravely right after this, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio.
We're back and we're dishing. Susan Gravely is here. The first thing I'm making from your book, and by the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late. The book is entitled Italy on a Plate. It is the much-anticipated memoir and travels and menus from the Vietri founder. And it is the first time that Susan has put her prose in print to share her beloved Italy and the beauty that her family has created for thousands of Italian families, for ceramics designers, and for her to share this beautiful life that she has and loves. The first thing I'm making, Susan, is zucchini with gorgonzola because I love, I love a gratin. Oh, do I love a gratin. Well, that is also one of my favorite things, too. I I love that one. I also love the zucchini strudel. The zucchini that you love is um, created by uh, a family that I absolutely adore, they, um, this was Tita Bozio, and Tita was one of the very first people we met when we were in Italy, and mm. she's a beautiful, beautiful cook. So what's delicious about this is that you can serve it on crackers as an hors d'oeuvre, or you can serve it as a side. Mm. And it's every recipe in this book is easy and from the family's that have been so important to me. The beauty of this is that the gorgonzola brings out the flavor of the zucchini. Of course. And you do not need a lot of salt because the gorgonzola has salt. Yeah, I love that. You know, zucchini, I happen to love zucchini because it's a year-round vegetable across the country, right? And I agree with you, it takes a lot of seasoning. But when you add that gorgonzola, I imagine, like you said, that that flavor really comes alive. And it is so super simple. I would love to put that out as a side. I'd love to put it alongside a charcuterie and cheese board and serve it with the crackers there. I mean, open a bottle of wine and dinner's ready. Um, But just just beautiful. Um, Take me to um, Pimonte, please. Um, I know it sounds silly, but I grew up, as my listeners know, over 20 years um, with a mom who is still today the most fabulous cook. And I'm sure that veal tonnato made it into my lunchbox, but I remember <laughs> it. I remember it at dinner. My mother made vitello tonnato. She loved it. And the concept of tuna being blended at that time here in the States, at least, was, you know, unknown. Uh, still no, today, right. it's one of my you're favorites. Right. And it tends, uh, when friends or people I meet have been in Italy and we're talking about food, this always comes up because we don't eat it very much no. in the United States. Mm-mm. But the flavor, the simple, mm. mild flavor of veal with really a mild flavor of tuna works beautifully together and the longer it's refrigerated the better it gets so that Mm. you can make a a a, a, you know rather large veal and eat it for you know quite a few lunches in your lunchbox yes happily very very happily Happily. that's a salt conversation again susan because the and especially with the canned fish we have today 
tuna yeah. in, in olive oil, right? The best quality would make the best yeah. tonado sauce. But again, that salty, briny, the contrast to the, to the tenderness and the subtlety of the veal is really very beautiful. You've made my mouth water talking about it. I want to make... Oh, I love it. <laughs> I want to make fish in crazy water oh, right after I go okay. to Positano with you. Well, <laughs> we can do that together. And this recipe came from Giovanni, the, yes. the young fellow who's now, who I call the mayor of Positano because he's warm, he owns the most beautiful and only ceramic and glass shops in Positano now, but this is fabulous. I just made it the other night because you take, you know, the the ingredients that all Italians use, olive oil, garlic, tomatoes, a little salt, and sometimes, you know, an olive or caper or fresh, um, some kind of herb, Mm. but you take these ingredients, you saute them, you stir them, and then... You add water into the skillet over these vegetables that only get to the top, uh, uh, the bottom edge of the fish, and you steam the fish with the vegetables. Oh, but it infuses all that flavor. It does. It does. You don't have to turn the fish. Mm. You keep it upright, and at the end, you add some beautiful parsley. Mm. Uh, leaves and there you have it yes a beautiful beautiful uh dinner or lunch simplicity at its finest right and a big loaf of crusty bread as you mentioned to soak and, and up a big beautiful bottle of crisp white wine okay good i'm in uh let's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> me too yes come it's, on over i can't wait i'll be right there um, it's been uh, so cold here, and I, I say that as a Southern California girl, so, of course, taken wow. with a, a grain of salt. But uh, a Tuscan bread soup has to be one of the most wonderful ways, as I was taught, to, quote, use it up, unquote. Yes. Isn't yes, it? It absolutely is. And the thing I love about Ribolita is, you're right, they use the stale bread, Yes. They use the leftover vegetables, yes. and they then always cover it with Parmesan at the end. But it one thing I love about Ribolita that we don't do as much is when you add the kale, you get that green flavor that is could be similar to dandelions, or it could be similar to mustard greens. And there's just that wonderful kind of little bit of tartness mm. with the the beans and the carrots and the zucchini and the bread and mm. they always give you a nice glass of red wine yes divine 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 it's so simple these are the recipes handed down generation after generation that you hold so near and dear and close to your heart i've never seen a recipe like this and i can't wait to mark your name on it and and hide it away like you know as into the legacy of it as into pay it forward pass it down well the beauty of this book and and what went into it is that we 
I, I was able to ask each of these friends for their family recipes, many of which I'd had before. Mm-hmm. And the essence of Italian cooking is to keep it simple. Yes. And then to end with bringing Italy home and adding some of our favorites that also were not hard uh, was the piece de resistance. It, it just completed the book for me. Yes. Well, I think for so many of us, you've brought the story to, to fruition of Vietri and to mm-hmm. learn about the history, about the connections and the friendships and the memories that you've made at the table is so heartwarming. And I think we all need a little of that today. It is a beautiful yeah. book a beautiful memoir. We hope you have more in your pen um, because this shouldn't be your only. Um, But it is, it's just a a glorious celebration of your life. And I know there is so much more yet to come in the debut cookbook. Yes, of course. From Susan Gravely. Thank you so much, Jamie. It was a pleasure, Susan. You must see this book entitled Italy on a Plate it is the most delightful celebration of sharing meals with friends here in the States and abroad. It is Susan's love of Italy that has given to her so generously and that she has given back tenfold in the 40th, excuse me, the 40 years since Vietri was established. Of course, the um, largest Italian Uh, importer or American importer of Italian ceramics, Susan has been at the helm and talk about female power, right? And now she's sharing the stories and the friendships and the recipes, and you don't want to miss it. On Amazon available now and uh, Books a Million, please order your copy. And of course, to see the newest designs and the beauty that we all aspire to bring into our kitchens, go to vietri.com, V-I-E-T-R-I.com. Susan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a delight. Thank you, Jamie. It (laughs) It was was a pleasure. I look forward to having you on the radio again. We do have great minds on this show and those that make your life better one dish literally uh, to one recipe at a time she is susan gravely the book italy on a plate and i am chef jamie gwen there is lots more fabulous food in your radio right after this so grab a snack come on back don't go away back with the sweet stuff. Oh, and we're delighted. The pastry sensation behind Bigger Boulder Baking. And you say you want to bake every day? Well, the much beloved and well-received and very successful new cookbook from Gemma Stafford is here, Bigger Boulder Baking Every Day. And this is part two of my conversation with Gemma to make you the best baker you know. So here goes. Gemma, I am so glad you're back and let's continue this sweet conversation, shall we? On yogurt, you're using a pure plain yogurt. Have you 
experimented with Greek yogurt. Are you a fan? I am. The reason I use plain is because of the texture. Yes. So you have a little it's more not, liquidity. It, it, it's it, liquid. It works better. Yes. It's more liquid and no. it works better for my recipes. Yes. I don't know if I have anything off the top of my head that does Greek except for um, little pops and stuff I make with George. Yes, of But course. for my baking, um, and I've made this mistake before, is uh, Greek yogurt. We always have it to hand in our house for us for eating. It's not thin enough. Yes. Too thick. Okay. And then you end up with wrong proportions and stuff. Understood. And I think that's an interesting dichotomy to mention because I use a lot of Greek yogurt in my savory cooking, which is my specialty, of course, versus your pastry expertise. And you can substitute Greek yogurt in savory for sour cream, Uh mayonnaise, uh, sometimes cream cheese even. So that's, that's a really wonderful point that your plain yogurt has a different viscosity and that Greek yogurt is not a pure substitute. So very smart. Um, I will tell you, I love anything corn. I was raised by a corn lover. And so the polenta cake with the mascarpone and the strawberry compote, if that doesn't scream spring, I'll get it out. If that doesn't scream spring, Gemma, I don't know what does. Isn't that lovely? Beautiful. Um, Yeah, really. I just, I just a lovely combination, you know, like when we came, when we came up with that recipe, we were, you know, we we're trying to like tie us together with other things and um, corn, mascarpone, which is fatty but yeah. creamy and rich rather than just whipped cream. And then the um, strawberry compost, um, not to get ahead of myself, but comes from a chapter of our at the end of the book for basics. And what I did was I put this chapter in the back of these basic recipes like the pie crust that I mentioned and compost and things like that. Mm. And then we can tie, I, I like to tie them throughout the book. Yeah, and you, so they get multiple, recipes are multiple purpose. And that was one of the uses for the strawberry compost was oh, to go on top gorgeous. of the polenta cake. Yeah, I can't wait to make that. And I wonder how many times a week you make the ultimate white chocolate pecan skillet cookie because I, I, I don't know, I think my invitation got lost. <laughs> yeah right I Wait. Think it's your old house did you say did you say cookie skillet cookie hold on i'll be right there um this looks very luscious i i love a cast iron skillet i think that that just brings people to the table and what could be better than your second batch or your second helping rather of cookie still being warm right yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a really so fun good. one. That's in family favorites because it's kind of a crowd pleaser. Yes. So that's the chapter that's kind of, you know, more for like the whole family, you know, and white chocolate and nuts and everything. Oh, so good. And it was a big hit. So good. And then um, could we please talk clafouti? Clafouti is something so French and so fabulous that I think is so underrated. It's, first of all, the name itself just makes you sound fancy. And when you serve it, everyone is always very in awe. This is, this is how I like to do things. I like, I like to make life easy on myself, for sure. Um, I still like to get like big and bold, impressive uh, results. And the, one of, um, the thing about short and sweet is that you use kind of one master element or one master recipe and you make different flavors. Right. So, for instance, like you said, the clafouti, we have a, a master recipe for that batter, which is, is a standard um, batter with eggs and milk and, and flour. And then you cu- kind of customize it with your favorite or seasonal fruit. The recipe, of course, somewhere in Bigger, Bolder Baking Every Day, the new cookbook release, the second 
hit release from Gemma Stafford. It is Gemma's passion, as she told you, to turn everyone into a confident, joyful baker. Gemma proves in bigger, bolder baking every day, there is always time to bake. From weeknight family favorites to fancy desserts to leisurely weekend bread baking and everything in between. And there are these extraordinary photos to which you can um, follow and learn along with the recipes from Gemma that really make this book from the heart. And it is always my pleasure to see your success, Gemma. And we know that since you already alluded to it, there's a short and sweet cookbook coming up next. Maybe, <laughs> right? <laughs> when I recover from this one, absolutely. Yes, That'll right. The next one. Okay, good. <laughs> you put it out there. Um, and until then, we will continue to follow. Um, on social at Bigger Boulder Baking, on the web, biggerbolderbaking.com, and of course, uh, Bigger Boulder Baking on YouTube, um, the continue, continuing hit baking show. Gemma, thank you for your time. My best to you and Kevin and George. Please come back again soon. Thank you very much for having me. It was lovely. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of Feeding Your Soul. I hope that you gained culinary intelligence, that I satiated your appetite and that you savored the conversation. I thank you for tuning in and continuing to listen and I'll meet you here next weekend. But before you go, take a taste of my last bite for this week. My last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the hour. Do you want to make French toast in a jiffy? I've been on a, a French toast splurge, as I call it lately. Well, you could rush to your kitchen right now because if you have a pint of vanilla ice cream, well, then you have a shortcut custard. Rich, satisfying French toast can be made with just a pint of melted vanilla ice cream, some thick cut slices of brioche or challah bread, and some good quality unsalted butter. Yes, the melted ice cream is your custard. No need for milk and eggs. And a little bit of butter in a, well, a lot of bit of butter in a skillet after those bread slices have soaked for about three minutes, flipping them often. You have French toast, perfectly crispy, golden brown, soft in the center, just the perfect amount of sweetness and fabulous flavor. And you can call it vanilla ice cream French toast, or you can just call yourself a culinary hero. I will post the recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where I hope you'll become a friend and a fan. So please follow at Chef Jamie Gwen. And if you're looking for the bonus recipes as well from this week, it is my tutorial on compound butter. You can email me anytime, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com, and I will get back to you personally and directly. And please check out chefjamie.com. Once again, I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and until next weekend, I hope you continue to eat well. Well.